Brother Daniel. Thank you for your help with that. But if you're following on in your Bibles, then we're starting at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Shouldn't be too difficult to find. It's the first book in the Bible. And only the second chapter. Genesis 2 and 15. And the Lord God took the man, talking about Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave the his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We have the story of the creation of the first man and the first woman. But there was a problem that rose up pretty soon afterwards. In Genesis 3, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, as God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. It's not mentioned whether Eve was told by God himself what was forbidden. The Bible talks about God telling Adam what was forbidden and what wasn't. We know that God walked with them in the cool of the evening. So God may have reiterated to Eve what he told Adam. However, after they had sinned in verse 8 of Genesis 3, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God didn't call to both Adam and Eve, but he called to Adam. It appears that God had a special relationship with Adam, 
And Eve may well have learned what God had said through Adam. Genesis 3.10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all thy cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly, and shalt thou go, and he gives the rest of the curse to the serpent. Notice that both the Bible and God refers to Eve as the woman, and doesn't use her name. It seems that she didn't have a special relationship with God. They weren't on a first-name basis. And she had a relationship with God through her husband. It appears that Eve had a second-hand experience with God. And notice who gave in to the temptation first. It was Eve. Adam was right there beside her, as Genesis 3 and verse 6 says, But he wasn't the one that the serpent went after, and he only fell after she fell. You see, we can't live for God on a second-hand experience. That's the title of the message this morning, a second-hand experience. We have to have a personal, one-to-one relationship with God himself, ourselves. Eve was relying on her husband to stop her from doing wrong and to guide her in the ways of God. But your husband and your wife, or your wife, will not always be around when Satan attacks you. And if you don't have a relationship with God, then they won't be able to keep you from falling. Because a relationship with God is a personal thing. You either have it or you don't. If you don't, you become an open target for the enemy, as Eve found out, to her great dismay. The serpent didn't target Adam, even though he was right there in the same place. He targeted Eve. And notice that after Eve sinned, Adam sinned as well. If we don't have a relationship with God, then when we fall, we can take others with us as well. We can have a huge detrimental effect on our husbands, our wives, our family, and even the whole church. And what about King David? He was a leader over all Israel, and he had a wonderful relationship with God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 21, And afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That's something that's incredible that God would say about someone following him. It talks about a special relationship. It talks about a closeness. David wrote most of the Psalms and rejoiced greatly in God. The Bible tells us that when the Ark of the Covenant was being carried to the city of David, 
in Second Psalm 6 and 14, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle. David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. It was a time of great rejoicing. David blessed the people. He gave them food. There was, it was a great feast because the ark had returned to where it was meant to be. And then in verse 20, it continues on, Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will be yet, I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child by the day, until, until the day of her death. So Michael, David's wife, despised her husband when he worshipped God because her heart wasn't right before God and God gave her the judgment that she was childless. Being married to the king, a spiritual and a godly man, didn't stop her from falling. And likewise, being married to a pastor, a preacher or a spiritual leader in the church isn't going to stop you from falling either. You can't get by on the relationship that your spouse has with God. Being married to a spiritual spouse doesn't make you spiritual or solve all of your problems. You have to have a relationship with Jesus yourself. And what happens if your spouse starts to backslide? Think about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They agreed to sell a property, hold back, part of the price and tell the church that they had given the full price in an offering to the church. The problem was not that they kept back part of the price, which they were entitled to do, but that they lied and said that they had offered the full price. In Acts 5 and 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And they went and buried him. And it was about the space of three, hour, three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold this land for so much and she said yes for so much then peter said unto her how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the lord and then basically the same judgment came on her as came on her husband notice that ananias and sapphira were given very separate judgments 
They were judged by God at different times. Sapphira couldn't say that she was misled by her husband and use that as an excuse. She was given the same death sentence as her husband. But if she had a proper relationship with Jesus, she didn't have to follow the wickedness of her husband. If she had that relationship with God, she could have stood for what was right. It's all about the relationship. Nobody can force you into the church. And nobody can force you out of it. Not your spouse, your parents, or your friends. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we can stand when those who are close to us fall. That's not to say that that is easy. But our closeness to Jesus will see us through. We have to hold on to Jesus when everything else goes sour. Let's look at another example in Acts 19 and 11. And God's wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you, or command you, by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Seaver, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, these seven sons, their names aren't even mentioned, were the sons of the chief of the priests. They were trying to do a work for God, or maybe even for their own pride, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They had a lot going for them. They were the sons of a great Jewish leader, but they tried to do something without being close to Jesus first. Notice what the evil spirit said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? See, Satan knows those who have a relationship with Jesus. He knew who Paul was. But if you try to do something for God without having that relationship, you have no power with God. Being the son or daughter of the pastor or a preacher won't help or save you from the attacks of Satan. Only a relationship with the one who has all power will. It didn't help Hophni and Phinehas, Phinehas, the sons of the godly priest Eli, that their father was a priest following God. They fell into incredible sin in the Old Testament. And their father was rejected by God as well for not reining his sons in or disciplining them when they started to fall. The Bible also says that Hophni and Phinehas were also priests. So holding an office in the church or being a preacher doesn't stop you from falling either. The only thing that will keep you close to God and stop you from falling is your relationship with Jesus. That is the only thing. What about the prodigal son? It's a very famous passage in the New Testament where Jesus gave an account of a certain man having two sons and one of them decided that they liked the bright lights of the world better than being in the father's house. He went out, spent everything in 
while living. And then a famine came, and all of his friends left him, and he had to get one of the lowest of the low jobs of feeding pigs. And he could barely feed himself with what the pigs didn't eat. And no man gave unto him. He didn't have any friends anymore. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. So he made a choice. He said, This is ridiculous. I'm going to go back to my father. He might make me one of his servants again. And the father saw him a long way off. And came and ran and gave him and put, put on him a, a robe and a ring and shoes and, and made him better and put a, a huge feast for him. In Luke 15.25 it says, Now his eldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he asked about it. And then he was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out, and he answered his father and said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gave me a kid that I might marry, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son came, which did all sorts of wickedness in the world, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said, this is the father, under him, Son, that you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. And he's basically saying it was a good thing because he was dead. Your brother was dead and is now alive and was lost and is found. The prodigal son had a spiritual brother. In verse 29, the brother says, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. He was righteous. He did everything according to the way it should have been done. But the good example of the brother never stopped the prodigal son from falling. And what a fall it was. The prodigal son says in verses 16 and 17, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He was starving to death spiritually, a slow, painful process in the most depraved surroundings imaginable. The Bible says that he made it back to God, his father, eventually, after reaching the lowest point possible. But he never made it back to where he used to be. In verse 31, the father says to the good son, And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. The son had lost his inheritance forever. The prodigal son had lost something important spiritually that he used to have, but it was gone now. See, don't be fooled into thinking that you can leave the church for a time and come back to where you used to be before. There will be a difference in your relationship with Jesus. Something missing from when you used to follow him before. Sure, you might still be saved. Yes, God will bring back those that are lost. But you'll have lost something really important. See, the prodigal son lost his special blessing 
his inheritance. Everything that he received from his father when he returned was only borrowed from his father. His brother would be receiving the best robe, the ring, and the shoes as part of his inheritance. The son might have been saved, but he lost everything that he had once had spiritually. In the same manner, you can't rely on the relationship of your physical siblings with God to get you through to heaven. Or the relationship of your spiritual brothers and sisters with the Lord either. Their relationship is not going to take you to heaven. No matter how much they pray for you, no matter how much they talk to you, it's got to come down to what you do yourself and the decisions you make yourself. Having a godly and sinless brother didn't help the prodigal son, didn't stop the prodigal son from falling. He was out of there. He was gone, despite his brother's relationship with the same God that he was meant to be serving. So you can't get to heaven by hanging around or getting close to your brothers and sisters in Christ either. It won't stop you from going your own way and losing everything that you have. You've got to have your own relationship. Moses had a special relationship with God. He talked with God at the burning bush. And on Mount Sinai, when he received the Ten Commandments, his face shone with a bright light in one situation so that the children of Israel couldn't bear to look at his face and he had to wear a veil. That is something, something special. That is a special relationship with God. He interceded that God wouldn't destroy Israel on more than one occasion. I think it was three times. This was a man who had a relationship with God. But soon after Moses was away on the mountaintop receiving the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel started to sin by making and worshipping idols, sleeping around, and many other things that go along with that. Israel didn't have a relationship with God. They were trying to follow God through the relationship of their leader, but that never works. It's never enough. They had seen the great power of God when he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. They had an experience with God, but they didn't have a relationship. You see, you can have an experience with God without having a relationship. In the same vein, we can't live through the experience of our pastor or our church leaders either. They're there we're there to help you along the journey. But we can't sit down and force you to pray each day. We can't sit down and force you to make the right decisions. We'd love to be able to do that, not because we like control, but we want to see people in heaven. We want to see people saved. But it comes down to the choices you make in your lives as you walk or don't walk with God each day. It comes down to your experience and your relationship with God. You see, our pastor, our church leaders, can't be with us all the time. And when we are tempted of Satan, their strength isn't going to sustain us at all. It will be where we stand with God that will either keep us following Jesus or will cause us to choose the wrong option. We talked about that in great length in the teaching this morning. You can come to church as often as you want, and listen to the anointed preaching of the pastor and other ministers. It might make you feel good to be part of the church, 
but it won't get you to heaven, not on its own. Just listening to preaching won't save you. You have to have a relationship with the one the pastor and the ministers are preaching about. What does the Bible say? James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. For he beholders, beholds himself, and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We need to be doers of the work and not just listeners. In the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the spiritual leaders, but they were on the wrong track. The Bible says that not only were they getting it wrong, but they were, that they were hindering the walk of God in people who were following God rightly as well. These days, there are also TV preachers and big names in the Christian world that people look up to. Many who go to their evangelical meetings and listen to them on TV have an experience that might change them for a little time. But people who follow these men don't get a relationship with God. They are following a man and not Jesus. And these men don't, treat, don't preach the truth either. They lead people away from Jesus, not closer to Jesus. You see, spiritual leaders and pastors can get it wrong and fall away from God as well. We're not immune to that. It's all about our relationship. <laughs> and if that happens, people get it wrong, and we're following them and they fall, then we will fall as well. Only having a true relationship with Jesus will help us to stand when everyone around us is falling. You see, Israel had a long history. They were God's chosen people from a very early time. And time and time and time again, I, don't, I never counted the number, but Israel was called to follow God. And then they fell and went into sin and idolatry. And then someone brought them back to God. And then they fell and went back into idolatry and sin. And it happened again and again, rinse and repeat, and just again and again and again. You see, they were trying to follow all of the rules and the regulations without having a heart after God, without having a true relationship with God. They were God's people in name only. Their heart wasn't in it. You can't just give lip service to God. You have to have something deeper, otherwise you will fall. We can try to live for God by following all of the rules and the regulations and trying to do the right thing, but it's not the rules or the regulations that will save us. Think about that. We can try to live for God by following all of the rules and the regulations and trying to do the right thing, but it's not the rules 
or the regulations that will save us. It's not about looking good on the outside. That doesn't show where we are with God. We have to have a relationship with the Creator Himself, not just an experience. You'll have an experience with God when you come to church. You'll feel the presence of God. You'll, you'll feel Him calling. You'll feel Him drawing. And you'll have an experience with God. But what happens when you go out of the house of God? That is what's going to determine whether you've got, whether you've got an experience or a relationship. Do you follow God in your day-to-day living? Bible, the Bible talks about Judas Iscariot in the Psalms. For it was not an enemy, Psalm 55 and 12, for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man, mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in company. Judas had a special friendship with Jesus. It says, we took sweet counsel together. They had incredibly wonderful conversations. They, they had a special relationship. But he didn't have a relationship with the God that was being manifested in Jesus. The Bible says that he was a thief. In John 12 and 1, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. It appears that Judas was in charge of holding Jesus' money and was in charge of distributing that money to the poor. But he stole from it instead. This was a position of great trust, but Judas abused it. While I was under the pastorship of Brother Jacobson in Townsville, he gave a a great message which compared this passage with the other recorded passage um, in the book of Mark. And it talks about, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and it talks about the same thing, the alabaster box, the ointment, and and, uh, the murmuring. We have two different accounts of the same event, each telling us different details. In one account, In Mark, it tells us that they were in the house of Simon the leper. In the other account, the Bible mentions that Judas is Simon's son. That's in Matthew. It's not a coincidence that the Bible mentions that Judas is Simon's son in the other account of the same event and that they were in Simon the leper's house in the other. The Bible is telling us that Judas is the son of the man whose house he was in 
at that time. The Bible also calls him Simon the leper and not Simon who was previously a leper. So it appears that Jesus didn't heal Judas's father, even though he healed many others. And Judas chose to become bitter about that. You see, Judas had a friendship with Jesus, but he didn't have a relationship with God. His close friendship with Jesus wasn't enough to save him or keep him from going bad. It didn't stop Judas from becoming a thief or getting bitter with God. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Jews, causing him to be killed. And he hung himself when he realized his mistake and couldn't fix it. He backslid completely. You see, we can't rely on our friends' relationship with God either, no matter how close we are with them. Judas had the greatest, most spiritual friend you could have, but his friendship didn't help him one bit when the trials and the temptations of life came. So we can't rely on our friends to get us to heaven either. Only a true relationship with Jesus will get us there. Our past relationship won't get us to heaven either. If you were close to Jesus previously, it doesn't mean that you're close to Jesus now. A relationship has to be maintained. Have you ever spoken to someone you used to know very well but haven't talked to for a while? It can be a struggle to find things to say and can be a little uncomfortable, whereas you were comfortable and able to talk easily and at great length before what happened? There was a break in the relationship. You're not as close to that person as you used to be. It's the same with Jesus. The more you spend time with him, the closer you get. The less time you spend, the further you get away and the easier it is to fall and to displease him. The Bible talks about Demas who left the company of Paul and presumably the church having loved this present world. He lost his relationship with Jesus. As Paul mentioned him by name, many people are talked about in the Bible without being mentioned by name. He used to be something great in the kingdom of God, but now he had lost the relationship with Jesus and loved something else more instead. He had fallen from his walk with God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you can last through all the trials of life because you have his strength. If God doesn't heal you or a friend or a relative, you can still stand for Jesus and not be bitter. If God allows you or a friend or a relative to go through huge trials, temptations, tribulations, you can still stand. If a friend or a relative gets really sick or dies, you can still stand. If a close friend turns against you, you can still stand. If a friend, a relative, or a church leader, someone you respect, backslides, you can still stand. All because you have a relationship with Jesus. It's His strength that will see you through. The strength of your parents, your friends, your siblings, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your husband, your wife, even your pastor won't be enough. You can't have a second-hand experience with Jesus and survive. It's a personal relationship with Jesus that will get you through. And it's the only thing that will. 
So how do we get a relationship with Jesus? Well, the first and the most important is by being saved. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. Before a man and a woman are married, there are things that need to be done before that intimate marriage relationship can occur. There needs to be an exchange of vows in the presence of an official person and witnesses, and there needs to be signing of marriage documents. Without these things, the man and the woman are not married. In the same sense, there are things that we need to do to become the bride of Christ, to start having that relationship with Jesus. The Bible plainly shows us how we can start coming into that relationship by repenting, being baptized in Jesus' name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost, as Acts 2 and 38 says, with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, a language we have never known before. Without these things, it's impossible to have an intimate relationship with Jesus in just the same way that it's impossible to be married without following certain procedures first. The second one is through personal prayer. How can we have a relationship with Jesus without talking to him one-to-one? It doesn't make sense. Praying together as a church or with your husband or wife or with your family or friends is excellent. But we need to have some personal time with Jesus ourselves. We need to build our own personal relationship with him. To shut ourselves off from the rest of the world and just talk to Jesus about our life, our problems, about others. We should do this as regularly as possible. I know that I try to talk to Jesus every day. Sometimes that isn't always possible or is very difficult. But if I miss having a time with Jesus, then I try to do it the very next time that I can. We don't have to get discouraged or feel guilty because we miss a time or two. We just get back into it as soon as we can. Jesus understands our situations better than we can ourselves. And if you're a child or a younger teen and can understand what I'm saying, then you're not too young to start praying to Jesus. There's no... If you can understand about Jesus, if you can understand who he is, then you can start praying to him. The third thing is through reading God's word. We should always try to do this with prayer, as that will allow God to bring us into the right frame of mind and for us to be able to talk to the Lord about what he's shown us about our lives from his word. Pray about what you've seen in the word and allow the Lord to talk talk to you through his word. Be responsive to God's dealing with our lives and situations, both when it suits us and when it doesn't. The promises in God's Word are really awesome, and there's something that we can hold on to. But there's plenty in God's Word that will bring us into a closer relationship to Jesus by getting rid of junk in our lives. The fourth thing, by coming to each church service every time that we can. Sometimes it's impossible for us to be in church through sickness or other means, but we should get to church every time that we can. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We can be encouraged when we get into God's house. We should be in church every time we can. Having a relationship with Jesus is a personal thing, but the Bible tells us plainly that we can't have a proper relationship to Jesus without going to church 
with our brothers and our sisters as well. It's in church that God has the greatest chance of dealing with our lives and the direction we're taking, allowing us to get closer to Jesus. And that's what we want, right? The preaching of the Word will open up God's Word in our lives in a way that just our own personal times cannot. There's plenty of people that pray to God day after day after day and they, what they believe is off the deep end because they don't get that correction from God's house. We can't just do it on our own. God doesn't reveal everything to one person. Think about that. Nobody has all revelations from the Bible. Preachers are still getting new revelations from God's Word that nobody else has heard preached before. And if you're not in church to hear these revelations, then you're missing out on a chance to get a closer relationship to Jesus by knowing more about Him and His Word. And the fifth and final thing you can do is by being open to God's leading and guiding. We don't want to harden our hearts when God is speaking to us. The quickest way to kill a relationship with God is to not listen to Him when He speaks. Husbands and wives would know this. There has to be two-way communication for the, husband, for the relationship between a husband and wife or even between a boyfriend and a girlfriend to develop and to grow. Without that communication, the closeness of the relationship dies. That's why long-distance relationships are really hard to maintain. There has to be listening and responding to Jesus as well as just talking to Him. If you're doing all the talking, then there's something wrong. <laughs> the needs You need to give Him the ability to talk to your life as well. If I could get someone to the piano, please. 